2: The Athletic
3: This is Talk of Devils, the Athletics podcast dedicated to Manchester United. Unfortunately, I think we'd all rather talk about something else, but here we go again. I'm Ian Irving, and joining us today on the pod are Karl Anker, who had a lovely soiree down to the south coast on Saturday. And Andy Mitton, who, like the rest of us, was quite glad he was anywhere else, I think. Um, you've written another public indignity, another collective autopsy will begin. Carl and your match report from Brighton. Paraphrasing a little bit, maybe, but let's kick it off then. How bad was it? Oh,
2: that was bad. That was Watford, 4 one, bad. That was... Liverpool, both of those games bad. That was Everton 4-0 in the eighteen nineteen season of bad.
3: There's even a case to say it's worse than those results.
2: Yeah, yeah. I I, I can see there's some merit in there. Uh, Ralph Rennick, after the game, said it was, as you said, the performance was very much like the Watford defeat. It was just a complete and total. Collapse almost feels like the wrong word because collapse tends to imply you had your act together at the start and they didn't. So the first 20 minutes is all brighton. Um, there, was a, there was a brief moment where, because, because the Amex, the way the Amex works, the press box is actually right on the touchline. So you can see, I saw the back of Edison Cavani's head for the majority of the game. His head is very nice, nicely coughed. Um that's pretty much the only good moment I had from being at the Amex, is like just seeing how nice Cavani's head is. Other than that, it was just, just awful. There was, I think, seven minutes in, Ralph Randick came out to the touchline and gave uh, Alex Telis some comments more or less saying, Do not let Solly Marsh cut inside. That's what he's going to try and do. And, and so he sort of gave him a quick thumbs up and then immediately forgot those instructions as Brian just continued to turn the screw and get better and get better and get better and get better. And, get better and, get better. and yeah, it was a 1 0 driven at half time and then a proper 4 0 driven after 60 minutes. And you're just going. Where would
3: you go from here? Yeah, and you, there was almost a sense that we were fortunate to escape with a 4-0 defeat, Andy, wasn't there?
4: Yeah, can't we talk about Cavani's hair? Did, did it smell, Carl? <laughs> do you reckon he uses any product? on it? Do you reckon he uses head or shoulders? Or Pantene? Or, or do you reckon he just like, when he stays in hotels, he just swipes all the different shampoos <laughs> and conditioners and and, and goes with them? Um, yeah, let's speak about Cavani's hair for 30 minutes. He's got to get some joy Give us some joy this season because he hasn't. He hasn't hardly played. It was. It was. Uh, it was terrible. It was shocking. It was everything that that Carl said. I don't know whether Ralph went back to his old university, which is just behind the stadium. Which for people who haven't been is in. It's in the Sussex countryside, outside of Brighton. It's about a, a 10, 12 twelve-minute train ride away from the centre of Brighton itself, and they've had a really poor record since coming back up to the Premier League. Hugely successful club, given where they were. I can remember seeing them at the Goldstone ground uh, with Dean. I've had Radio Sussex on to me this morning. Can we just laugh at you for, for 10 minutes? Um, and they absolutely deserved it. And United are starting games really badly. And when Manchester United go behind in matches, I've got so little faith in the team coming back and rescuing it. And it was just another, oh no. And losing 4-0, against Liverpool is one thing. They're arguably the best team in the world. Losing 4-0 at Brighton and not being surprised at it, it just goes lower and lower and lower. People say, can it get any lower? Of course it can. Manchester United could be relegated. Huge teams have gone down, but shocking performance. Fans were singing, you're not fit to wear the shirt. 3,000 fans travelled down.
3: Andy, just on that, on that particular chant, you're not fit to wear the shirt. It's it's surfaced a couple of times in 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 recent weeks. I can't remember that ever being sang before. Can you? you
4: you're going back so you're going back thirty years, basically. And, and so many indicators, you've got to go back thirty years. So the last time Manchester United had as few points, you're going back thirty years. Um, but even then, in nineteen ninety, when United finished thirteenth, still won. The FA Cup, 91, finished sixth, still won the European Cup, Winners' Cup. But preceding that, what you would often get at games would be Fergie sort them out. Because it would be that bad. The Stretford End or the United Road or the scoreboard would sing to the manager to sort the players out. The idea that at half-time he could get some sort of response from them. So the players deserve some of the criticism. The manager does as well. The owners do as well. Everybody does. They're all all contributing into the ingredients which have led to a failing Manchester United team this season. But fans are frustrated and, and with good reason. There's one more game left. Um unless you want to include the FA Youth Cup, which I'm sure we'll talk about. There's a Legends game as as well. Um, the away end will be sold out at Sellers Park in a couple of weeks. Um, the fans will go through the turnstiles with the intention of supporting the team. But if that team once again fails, you will hear you're not fit to wear the shirt again from from the Arthur weight stand. Fans work hard to get the money to travel and watch their team. costs a lot of money to get down to Brighton on a train or on a coach. It takes a lot of time to do it. And fans aren't just doing it just to watch the game of football. They are seeing the mates. They are having a good day out uh, in good old Sussex by the sea. They don't expect to win every single match. That's part of being a football fan. This is the reality of it. But come on, that was disgraceful on Saturday.
3: Carl, you've written about it since as well, a more considered view that's up on The Athletic now. It dropped on... On Monday morning, um, it doesn't make much better reading either, does it? A couple of days on, you've sort of broken down exactly how Brighton exploited Manchester United's problems.
2: Yeah, so uh, at full time, uh, I'll politely describe it as my head was rather hot. uh, And uh, my editor for that weekend said, what are you thinking? Do you want to go explain how United lost? And I think I used an expletive. And he went, all right, I'm I'm just calming you down. I went, no, I'm not swearing at you. I'm just saying, F off. Why do I have to explain what went wrong there? Everything. Uh, and they gave a couple of hours of grace. but you know, go to bed, see if you calm down a little bit and then try and go out with a clear mind. And I had a moment on Sunday morning where I was re-watching the fourth goal and I'm watching the highlight again and I'm watching Victor Lindelof spring out of the back four to try and make a tackle on McAllister. And again, absolutely nowhere near as McAllister hits that switch very quickly to Pascal Grass which leaves this huge hole that Trussard and Danny Welbeck jump into. I'm watching Pascal Cross look and see they're two very good passing options, where a centre-back should be, and that Raphael Varane is not turning left and right to understand the players behind him. I'm watching this pass go through, and Varane is a deception, and both Welbeck gets you know gets onto the ball, buzzing his little chip over the hair, and then Trussard eventually bundles it in. I'm in a fairly public place watching this highlight, so I can write it, and I think I made quite a loud shouting noise at how bad the calamity that was involved in my collective defence. It can be hard to look at sometimes. I think sometimes when Manchester United play badly, you can almost laugh out of disbelief of just, I cannot believe this team is playing badly. But when United collapse in that way, where they can see goals, bang, 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 so quickly, you don't even get time to adjust to how bad they are before they get even worse. And that makes it really difficult. I think I tweeted partway through the game, don't have to keep watching if it doesn't make you happy. Because I think there's a point with quite a few fans where this isn't fun anymore. This isn't... This is meant to be entertainment, most first and foremost. And I love football, but I try not to let my weekends get ruined by it. If they have a bad result, I try and go off and do something else I enjoy. But watching that defeat, you did just come out and go, why? <laughs> why did you do that?
3: Yeah. Yeah, I think the fact that it confirmed that United will finish with their lowest ever points tally in a Premier League season underlines Mm. how bad this campaign has been for the club. There was lots of stats going around on social media as well in the aftermath of the game. One that stuck out to me, uh, Manchester United have lost three games out of the 37 in the Premier League this season by four or more goals. They only did that three times in 810 Premier League games under Sir Alex Ferguson. I mean, that... Obviously, the comparison to his team is stark, but Newcastle, Southampton and Norwich have lost three games by four-plus goals this season as well. Um, I don't think
2: you need to compare things to Ferguson ferguson to say how bad this is. You can just compare it to... No, no I mean no. You, look, you, look, you don't
3: need a stat for that, do you? You don't. You know,
2: look at the goal difference right now. Manchester United, the goal difference is plus one. You look at the goals conceded. I think they've conceded 56 goals this season. So, the defence is absolutely porous. The attack doesn't really work unless Cristiano Ronaldo has a good day, which... He has more good days than bad days, but he did have a very pronounced slump between January and March. We are, and I've used we there because I can't as try as much to detach myself from Manchester United sometimes. It, I still care. Um, they're in the middle of a, of a mini injury crisis as well, so they're, they're using players that probably shouldn't be playing this many games a season at Manchester United. Uh, you know, players that probably would have played 20 games a season are playing 30 and 40 and playing essentially by default and making the same mistakes and have very pronounced weaknesses. And I think it's quite enlightening when you go into these press conferences, not just listen to Ralph Rank, but when you say listen to the opposition manager and you hear what they say about why their team did well. And Graham Potter's a fantastic talker, really, really talks about ambition and bravery. And he made a nice little quip about how there's not even an available Spurs job, but they're already linking up the Spurs. And he was just talking about the wing-backs because United were really poor in wide areas. And I asked him, I said, "You know, was it an ambition to get your wing-back forward? Uh, Mark Carrella as well from left-centre-back got forward a lot. I think he was man of the match. And he said, well, we've got two very good wing-backs that are attacking and the more they attack, the less they have to defend. And we know they can cut inside a lot, so we definitely enable them to get forward. And it was just, it used to be difficult to beat Manchester United or you used to need freakish luck to beat manchester united whereas this season we have seen more and more opposition managers from in and around the mid table very little bit of collective effort and two or three simple plans so we've heard ralph Arsenal say when manchester united lose the ball their reverse gear isn't very good graham potter said our win backs are very good going forward and we know they can cut inside so we told them to do that bruno lage after Wolves beat manchester united as well gave a really really good breakdown of how much space Manchester United leave in between their lines when they're supposed to defend in a 4-4-2 it's an open secret how to beat Man United they are not feared they are not really respected anymore they're just a team that you can beat if you give it a bit of well and I think that's utterly damning from a team that's had more than half a billion spent on it and came into this season with ambitions of maybe not winning the Premier League but at least wanting to be in the title race up until April
4: spot on you're absolutely right. And I remember when players started talking about Manchester United not actually being that good. At first, it was done in private. I remember Southampton coming to Old Trafford in David Moyes' season and getting a draw and everyone was like, whoa, what's going wrong here? And I spoke to the agent of a player afterwards and the player was included on the call and he was like, United are terrible. We we, we should have won there. We were miles better than you. And then one of the other players ended up joining Manchester United, Morgan Schneidlin, who played very well in that game. You're right to point out the number of goals conceded. The goal difference plus one is shameful. 56 goals conceded. Liverpool and Manchester City, 21 and 23 goals. Burnley have conceded Less goals than Manchester United, 49. Everton, in their worst season for years, in 16th place, the same number of goals as Manchester United. Brighton are ninth. They've had a, a really good season. and I'm glad you mentioned Marc Cuc- Cuc- the the Catalan, because he was man of the match. I've been writing about him for years. I first watched him play for Barca's B team. And I'm not a professional football scout, but I can spot a player. And he stood out, not just because of his haircut, and then he went on loan to Ibar and then to Hatafe. And he came back in the first team. And there's not many players who are good enough to stand down at Barcelona um, when you're an away team, especially a lowly away team. And he did. And Brighton have recruited smartly. So not only have they done the logistics right, they finally got the stadium after their nightmare. They built the training ground. They've, they've done it in a really intelligent way. I can remember... When they're signing players from abroad saying, actually, we're, we're 30 minutes from Gatwick Airport, it's a beautiful part of the world. We're really close to London. They extol their, their virtues. And he's a 23 year old lad who cost 14 million, I think, and really smart recruitment. They, 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 they've done really well. And I'm not saying he is Manchester United class. Knowing Manchester United, they'll go and bid 56 million for him and, and get it completely wrong. And then what's even more worrying for me, is players become worse when they come to Manchester United. So I mentioned Morgan in there. Not a bad player. He looked a bad one at Manchester United. We're not going to go through the 25 players in the last 10 years who've come, or even the managers, who go through this talent-reducing machine, which has become Manchester United. And, and that's really worrying. And I live in hope that this is going to stop, that there's going to be a brighter future. Every new signing makes me think... Yeah, you're invested in this idea that things are going to improve. But look at the reality. 11 games lost this season. Things are getting worse, not better. A goal difference of, of, of plus of one. I mean, United were plus, plus five, six, seven after three matches.
2: It's going worse. Even when Manchester United are bad, and this is horrible right now, man. they're still safe. Right? They're, they're as low as they're going to get is seven. So they are, Manchester United are going to finish above Brighton. And every time the league season starts, Manchester United will probably always finish it up ahead of Brighton because of essentially money. And Graham Potter said this two or three times about how a lot of the league is already decided before a ball is kicked because who has more money. But he also says the thing about Brighton is you have to be ambitious and you have to be clever, which is this idea of just because someone has more resources than you doesn't mean you shouldn't try. You should always try and outsmart your opponent. And there were two or three times watching that game where you're going, Brighton are, outsmarting Manchester United because Manchester United have very little to offer here other than just their name and how much money they have. Graham Potter talks about, you know, Jack wrote written a great piece about this game about how the new buzzword in football is alignment. Essentially, everyone at a football club is all on the same page and is all understanding that the plan is to do the same thing. And Graham Potter spoke, spoke about alignment He said, as a football club, you you, know, you have to be greatly aligned, you need to work together on a project, you need to be very, he said, you have to be brave in the transfer market, not just bringing in players but selling them as well, which I thought was really enlightening. You look at this Manchester United team, the starting eleven against Brighton, five of them played in the 4-0 defeat against Everton, which was supposed to be the big sort of Oli I say some of these boys have played their last game for the club. And they haven't. Just
3: a final point on this. Are these results damaging Manchester United's chances of a successful rebuild in the summer, Andy? Or do you think that it's almost immaterial because there is that sense that we're just waiting for the new manager to take over and the season to end.
4: Well, they're not enhancing it, let's put it that way. So if you're a player and you're looking at Manchester United, you want to know who's going to be the new manager, and that's now clear. So credit to the club for getting that done relatively early because the idea of this interim, it hasn't worked based on results alone. But if it means waiting for the right man was worth doing, then you could vindicate and say that weight was, was worth it. Champions League football is um, attractive to players, but there are other things which make moving to a new club attractive as well. Um, the idea of playing for a manager you like, the city that you'll be living in. Your partner is also entitled to an opinion, where the family's going to be living. That's one reason why Madrid tend to do so well. Uh, Manchester actually scores very well in terms of its environment for a professional footballer. Players speak well of it. Not the weather. Uh, The city's much improved. um, But players would rather live in in other cities or their family might. But Manchester does score well. And then players want to know money. Money's a huge factor. Money's probably the most important factor. No one says that, but I've been around the game long enough to know. And I remember seeing the correspondence between one player and his agent and being pretty struck by how much of it was about money 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 that's what it was about wasn't like we're going to do this we're going to win that we're going to do that it was we've got this contract worth this so that is a huge factor and united have got money united uh, can pay top dollar do pay top dollar often pay too much and it's one of the reasons we're talking as we are now
3: Okay, let's talk about something else, something more enjoyable, because Wednesday night brings the FA Youth Cup final to Old Trafford, Manchester United against Nottingham Forest. And maybe, after all, there will be a little bit of good news and a little bit of silverware out of what's been a pretty desperate season all round. Carl, how much excitement is there for this game amongst Manchester United fans that you've been speaking to? I mean, the fact that they've sold nearly 60,000 tickets already at this stage is quite a sign, isn't it? And I'm sure that's going
2: to rise. I think it would have sold even more if the website wasn't so difficult to work <laughs> um, yeah I definitely think this is, 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 the, is the shining light in what's left of this season uh, all credit to United's youth boys uh, when you think about where the academy was maybe three or four years ago uh, Andy's written a lot about the academy about how the the academy had fallen behind behind the likes of Manchester City behind Chelsea behind possibly even as well as Liverpool a little bit. and now there are times where you go to League you know, Sports Centre and you watch the under-23, so you watch the 18s, under-18s, and go, oh, they've got a couple of players here, they've got some real ones. So, United should be the favourites for this one. I think United fans have reason to be quietly confident in here. It's, hopefully, it, it can be a bright spot in, in a, a pretty dull season.
3: You were mixing with the fans, Carl, weren't you, before Brighton? Were they talking about this match?
2: Yeah, I was in Brighton before a couple of hours before kick-off and I was speaking to two United fans, Billy and his son Harvey, and they were just talking about everything to do with Manchester United. And I spoke to some other fans afterwards. And yeah, the Youth Cup came up quite often in terms of, oh, what well, we've got to look forward to. And there's quite a few of my fans well, there is a Youth Cup final, you should probably watch that. And they did talk about other memories of dynamic and amazing players at United. And I think that's the sort of, the thing that everyone will will, will look forward to, we, we also know that Eric Ten Hag is good with young players. Uh, and I'm not necessarily saying he's going to next season come in, bin off three or four players in the first team and just promote a bunch of academy players. But we know that it's similar to, to a certain manager on the other side of Manchester. Ten Hag isn't above saying, I don't need to bring in another player if I think someone in the, in the academy is doing quite well. So not only could this be uh, a very positive Youth Cup final, but also uh, it could be quite positive for these players. And you know, the person coming in might give them a little bit more time, and space, and energy going forward. Andy, what are you making of all this? Have you got a ticket?
4: Yes, and the the crowd. Uh, I wrote a story about the crowd at the weekend. It will be the biggest crowd for a game of football in England outside of matches at Wembley and Manchester United's first team. Which is it just makes me smile that these young players and their families and and 5,200 Nottingham Forest fans. They've done brilliantly to get to the final. I'm looking forward to it. I can't wait. I can't wait to... We're, we're going to sell United. We stand on the street outside and the idea of going to a game smiling with no pressure, although there will be pressure on the young players to win in May um, with a good weather forecast is, is really uh, attractive. I think the... Youth Cup is, is very important in the history of Manchester United. And not having won it since 2011, that's the second longest wait for an FA Youth Cup final for United, not having even been in the final since then. The longest would be from 64 to 82. You're right to touch on the improvements with the youth system. I wrote a very critical article in 2015 about the decline of the youth system. I thought I'd get a lot of stick for it. And they actually had people going, thanks for writing that. And the current 18s team have got some serious talent in it. You've got Nick Cox, who's head of the academy, has done very well. I think credit should also go to Nicky Butt, who's no longer at the club, but he became head of the academy in 2016 and he left last year. And United invested a lot of money. They quadrupled the money going into the youth system, a bigger and better staff. And United were were ruthless in taking rival clubs' best players and employees as well, including from Manchester City. United just started doing what other clubs had done to to Manchester United, and Chelsea have been the preeminent force in youth football in the last decade, followed by by Manchester City. Uh, this current batch of Chelsea players, I'm told by someone there, is not as good as as in recent years, and. Some serious players have come into Manchester United, and now we're seeing that with performances on the pitch.
3: Yeah, we'll talk in a moment about how Manchester United have got these youth players and the whole ethos around it. But first, let's see how the players are feeling then ahead of the match. Laurie Whitwell has been speaking to Joe Hugill.
5: Yeah, very excited. Obviously, a good opportunity for us all playing a final. Obviously, massive stadium, big crowd following us. Tribute game. In terms of playing in front of a big crowd, anything different for you guys? Is it excitement or a little bit of nerves? What do you reckon? Obviously, excitement and nerves. It's just another game at the end of the day, though. We're trying to put on a good performance and hopefully get the win. It's not all about winning, is it, at academy level? You come through and it's different teams get put out and what have you, but this is a real chance to having a sort of winning experience I suppose, together. Is that a sort the of main motivating factor, I suppose, for yeah. you? Yeah, obviously, you want to win every, every game you're playing. As a kid, as a first-team player, you want to win. Obviously, apart from us, for being young players, it's all about development as well. Obviously, so if you can get the win and develop at the same time there's nothing more you can do you trained me the first time, haven't you a little bit Joe how did you find that any tips from any players that you can share with us yeah I loved it really been over there a few times uh, learning of the greatest player really Ronaldo Cavani there they're always, always giving you tips of movement in the box where you can be where, where you don't want to be in a position but all helpful over there, and being a massive step in my career. Can it be intimidating? So sort you've of, around these kind of players that have been there and done that. Obviously, it's a like you've got great players over there now. You can you know you know the staff of the club and how good the players are, but you just want to show what you can do as well, really. So just focus on your training, how well you can do over there, and hopefully impress. Any moments you can share with us on training pictures or any any yeah. goals did you score. Obviously, you scored a few goals in the training <laughs> games, and obviously. Ronaldo, Sancho, Rashford—all of them really always always improving. Seeing seeing what they're doing, how you're going to adapt that to your game. So you mentioned Ronaldo. Did he actually sort of pull you aside, and sort of give you a little advice, and/or was it you sort of asking him for for a bit of both? Two? Really, yeah. you, obviously, you obviously want the advice from great players, so you take them. Whether you, you're asking them, they're helpful if you ask them. But obviously they'll come over to you as well and improve your game.
3: Yeah, great to hear from one of the young players. And Andy, the experience of being around the senior players seems to have really rubbed off on Joe.
4: I've never heard a young player say that training with the first team is a, a bad thing and no matter how bad the first team are these players have reached the, a very high level in football and young players can be learning so much of them what they often say is the speed that the ball moves around it's just so much faster than what they used to play in. they're like whoa I thought I was ready But they've just seen the first teamers ping it around really um, quickly. I think it's such a good thing. It's lifted the club. This will be the second longest wait for an FA Youth Cup final involving United. Uh, The longest was 64-82. to And given how important the Youth Cup is to the history of Manchester United, with those five wins in the 50s, those consecutive wins, it is uh, about time. And... I mentioned Nicky Butt, but there are other players who've been really influential in the youth system who've now left. People like uh, Paul McGuinness, Warren Joyce, Brian McClare. And United have just been ruthless. They've got players and employees from rival clubs. Uh, Scouts came from City. Dave Harrison, Lyndon Tomlinson, players. Charlie McNeil came from City. You know, United really had to change the way they were operating at a youth level to get competitive again. And the fact that the team have reached the final... And reached the semi-final during lockdown where I went to that game. They were still way off the levels of, of Chelsea. Um, shows that things are, thankfully, in the right direction.
3: Yeah, Alejandro Garnacho has been a star of this run to the final for Manchester United. You mentioned McNeil as well, he's caused lots of goals. Um, other players have caught the eye, of course, too, Carl. But I guess Garnacho, because he has made that breakthrough to making a, a debut for the first team in recent weeks as well, there'll be a lot of eyes on him it's a big occasion for him to show what he can do. He's been training not only with Ronaldo and Cavani and Rashford in Manchester United's first team, he's also been away with Lionel Messi at international duty. What a few weeks it's been for him. Oh,
2: yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, I'm really enjoying the current forward class of the United's academy. Uh, so you know, we, we know some, some football academies don't tend to really make forwards. Well, Barcelona, historically, tend to, to make very good midfielders and then tend to bite good strikers, their strikers don't quite make the first thing. Bojan Jan is a very good example. Really good at youth level, but didn't quite kick on at senior team level for them. But there seems to be I don't know what's going on in the water at Carrington, but there really does seem to be something going well with the with the forward class. Um I've, I've something that's really struck me about Garnacho is and this sounds really small to so say he hits the ball so hard. So uh, a player I, I quite enjoy watching. I think he, he, he could have, have a role to play next season, if not as a second-choice striker, but possibly as a third option there as well. Uh, I did also find it, it quite amusing when, um, uh, after the knowledge victory Cristiano Ronaldo gave him, the, the hat-trick match for Alan Garnacho referred to Ronaldo as the GOAT, only to have a bunch of his Argentinian teammates to go. Excuse me, you're Argentinian. The greatest football player of all time is Lionel Messi. Uh, so I like that little bit of needle. The fact that Garnaccio had uh, had had the courage, uh, however small, to say Ronaldo was, was the best football compress Needle.
3: Yeah, he scored in every round of this competition, apart from the fourth round for Manchester United as well. And it's been his performances at Old Trafford in this competition, in particular, Andy, that's caught the eye. Some of the goals that he's scored are the best that you've seen at United this year at on that home ground, because there's not been many of them at first team level to really shout about, I suppose.
4: United stock piled players um, before the Brexit uh, deadlines and uh, they signed him from Atletico Madrid, They were obviously a huge football club. Mark Gerardo came from Barcelona. Um, the goalkeeper, Radek Vitec, came from the Czech Republic. Uh, I spoke to somebody uh, about him and they said. Uh, they were comparing with Dean Henderson with his drive and ambition, but his style has echoes of Peter Schmeichel and Oliver Kahn. Don't get carried away, this person told me. He's 19. But it's still really, really encouraging. So you've got the local lads who are coming through. We said McNeil, Manny Norkit, Sam Mather, Kobe Maynou, who really impressed in the semi-final, it's Dan great, Gorey, Maxi as well, Rhys Bennett. There's loads. Sam Murray. And then you've got talent who've come in from other English clubs, like Joe Hugill, who, who came from Sunderland. Um, Amari Forson came from... He'd been at West Ham and Spurs. And then the European lads that we've mentioned. So it all leads to a very healthy-looking academy system, which we've got now. Statistically, of all them lads I've just mentioned, we will still be fortunate if two of them make into, into the first team. But... It's better to be really well positioned because, as we've seen with Chelsea, where lads like Mason Mount have come right the way through, if you're doing it right, and as we've seen in Manchester United's history, um, some of the greatest Manchester United teams have been full of players who've come through. And if there's a load of local lads, if Manchester United are beating Manchester City to young local players, the the price of, of failure when you don't do that is that Phil Foden, who I'm told came from a United-supporting family, <laughs> ends up playing for the other side and doing his best to get Manchester City into a European
3: Cup final. Not strictly true. Phil Foden's mum will have a lot to say about that, Andy, to be fair, to say that he's from a United family, definitely.
4: My source on that was one of his old school teachers, who was also um, a footballer, so I don't know exactly who in his family was red or blue. Split. Okay, there you go. He's split.
3: But more blue than red was always the line. But perhaps he would say that being in in the first team of City and also um, Phil grew up a a City fan in Stockport as well. Anyway, we digress. Let's talk more about recruitment because Laurie Whitwell has also been speaking to the head of academy, Nick Cox, about United's attitude towards recruiting young players.
0: You guys see him as young professionals. I'm dealing with someone's child. Mm -hmm. Uh, that's, That's the only way you can look at this is we're dealing with someone's boy and I've got to prove that you know, I'm responsible enough to, to nurture your child as a person, not just as a footballer. So that's the point at which, and I'm really proud of this, that you start to then show people all of the resource and people we've got at the club that people don't necessarily know about in terms of host families. Dave Bushel is a magician. Oh, he's just been inducting boys to this football club for years <laughs> and, and hopefully for many more years. He, gets, he builds relationships, he'll be in people's schools, he'll be around for a cup of tea with mum and dad whilst we're still working out if this is a good move or not. Steve Hines really influential in trying to create the experience when, when boys um, join us. Um, I've got to talk about transport networks and nutrition, and I've got to start to talk about safeguarding, and I'm going to introduce you to the education team because we're going to get you on the right education programme. And by the way, you need to learn the language, so is someone that's going to help you develop your language. Quite complicated but quite good fun uh, and then you know at the same time you're also trying to fight off other clubs because mm. if you're a good footballer that Manchester United is interested in other people are going to be interested too which is exactly the case with a lot of the boys you're talking about and there is interest so you're fighting a fight you're you going to war with your competitors but you're trying to do it in a really compassionate way that mm. is authentic and genuine and, uh, and I'm really proud of some of the work that we've done and yeah, we've lost some players that you'll never know about but at the same time uh, I always think that the final piece of the jigsaw where you're trying to induct a boy to your club if you lose a boy at that point that was the final piece of the of the recruitment process right All right you suddenly find out they're not up for it. Yeah. Or you start to get nervous that maybe you can't handle the change or maybe this club is too big for you. You learn that right at the, the final stages. So sometimes losing a boy is, is a blessing rather hmm. than something to, to be
5: upset about. How do you know, or how do you think you know, this is who we need to get in
0: here at this particular moment? Well, ultimately, the boys under those old rules couldn't join us until they were 16 anyway. So, you know, you can put a lot of boys change. Yeah. You can put a lot of time and effort in. If you start looking at 11-year-olds in Spain, yeah. you know, by the time you get to 16, you, you, there's so many unknowns. Yeah. So actually, the fact that a boy can't arrive till 16 means that you probably don't really narrow your focus until boys are kind of 14, 15. Sure. And 16, you're making your mind up. Yeah, and you listen, it's, it's difficult because the stuff that you've got access to is the stuff you can see with your eye. Mm. You can see technique, you can understand game awareness, you get a little bit of insight into athleticism, you get a little bit of insight into character in terms of the way they deal with disappointment, but the real stuff you can't get access to until we play by the rules here. Mm. So I can't talk to that player his family until the clubs have come to an agreement that it's okay to do so, by which point you're in deep. And the real stuff is about what's your family dynamic, Mm. what's your upbringing been like, Mm. who are you as a person, Um, what is your character really like? Athleticism is like can look really different to the eye on a pitch, to you know once you start to work out. You know, a boys, once you've got some, so they'll come in here and we'll test them physically and we'll psychologically screen them. You've got a bit more information, you start to go, well, he's even more athletic than we thought because he's not as developed as we first thought. So they will spend time here, they'll go through medicals. There's a lot of kind of data that we can glean once we've got permission to talk to a young mm-hmm. player. Um, but a lot of it is um, craft knowledge, which is just that gut feeling and instinct that when you meet a young man, you, you have a feel for whether it's the right move or not but you are you're, trying, you're narrowing the margins of a guess mm. no exact science and you are using data and evidence so video footage and statistics and uh, scientific report and craft knowledge trying to amalgamate that debate and discussion with experts to make a really good decision.
3: Carl I was blown away by the level of detail in that it's about a lot more than just seeing if a player is any good isn't it incredible.
2: I really enjoyed the way he spoke about pastoral care and how sometimes how late you get to know by the book, don't get to benefit 75% of the way done. I, I think he's a fantastic teacher and, and truly does care about these boys. Something I think about a lot was something Andy said earlier in the season about how there are more Academy employees now at Manchester United than were across the entire staff and it's good that there are a number of great people working there right now.
4: It's fantastic. And and I think Nick Cox speaks so well. If you're a parent, you want Nick to be in charge of the football club where where you're working. He's so sensible. He doesn't get carried away. I've written loads of stuff on on the youth system about the link-up with Ashton on Mersey School. Uh, he mentioned there Dave bushel I've spoken to him for the athletics sorry Dave if you're listening to this I will write it up it's just that so you never stop speaking for two hours but what a man what, a, what a, he's just someone who he he managed England schoolboys for a long time he's got a really good humor about him you can have a proper good laugh with him and and yet he's really serious about about his job and United are very proud of the link-up with Ashton on Mersey School. You don't have to go to the best private school in Manchester like Manchester City have done, um, for example. United feel that it's more real life, it's more real world having the state school which they work with. But the system will always be judged on the players that it comes through. But with Nick Cox and with so many other coaches that he's brought in and the strong connections there with Sheffield United and we interviewed Travis, the, the 18's manager recently for, for the Athletic, They care for these boys. They watch these boys. They watch them right the way through. If you watch at certain matches when a former Manchester United youth player comes back to Old Trafford, it might be Sam Johnson playing for, for West Brom, they're almost more bothered about checking that that person is all right than the actual result of the game because they've done their job in helping that player become the best player and person. And the second part of that is really important that they can be. So... I'm so much happier with the way Manchester United's youth system is now in 2022 than it was in 2015 when it had really fallen down. And when you hear Nick Cox talk like that, that's one of the main reasons why.
3: Let's just briefly preview this game then uh, before we move it on and and round off the podcast. Forest is going to be a difficult game, isn't it, Andy? They've had an impressive record in
4: the tournament and it's a very familiar name in charge of them as well. Youth football is very unpredictable as well, more unpredictable than than first-team football. Um, Forest have reached the final. They've knocked Chelsea out on the way. I saw the... Last few minutes of their game against Chelsea, that was a massive surprise, and they're going to be ringing five thousand two hundred fans. I'm not watching um, Nottingham Forest youth team play, so I can't point out and say that they've got this young kid from Newark on Trent who's going to be the main man. But you mentioned Warren Joyce, and Warren was really important to Manchester United youth system for a long, long time. And when I speak to players about Warren Joyce, they say one of the things he would get them, A, would be so fit that they had no excuses. So players would come in even from Manchester City and Warren Joyce would say to them, you're nowhere near the level of Manchester United yet. And the other thing that he told them was, don't you be phased by any of these big timers here just because they've won leagues. So we're going back a little bit now to the time when Manchester United did actually win trophies. He said, you get stuck David in... David De Gea's won the league. Yeah, Dav- yeah, Dav- yeah David's won the league. Phil Jones has won the league as well. He said, don't be fair, you get stuck and you give it your absolute all. I will I will back your corner here. You show you're good enough to play for this first team. And i will be saying exactly the same things to the young Forest players. So Manchester United will meet a highly motivated young side. And I don't think the result is a given by any stretch. I'd, I'd say 60-40 in Manchester United's favour. But youth football is really unpredictable.
3: Okay, before we round off the podcast then, we just need to reflect on one line that's in David Ornstein's column on Monday morning on The Athletic. You can go and read it now if you want more information on this. Paul Pogba isn't going to Manchester City, Carl. Part of me is relieved because you never know what might happen. Part of me would have been intrigued to see what would have happened if he'd gone there and done as well. As he has at United, um, how do you reflect on it?
2: <laughs> I was a lot of noise over not much in particular. Uh, I, so the the rumor happened midway through Friday afternoon, uh, and normally when things like this happen, what I do is I, I take a breath, I go off and I go talk to Sam Lee, who's our Manchester City correspondent. Uh, he mentioned that there was some sort of rumour conversation that Paul Pogman may be looking to buy property in Manchester but that was as far as we know. no it could be just you know, trying to buy a flat or, or some housing for a family member but I think what happened on Friday was what if he was buying something for himself to go play for City uh, then Sam very much was, was of the opinion of, he has no idea what happened you may as well just get on with the weekend so I went off and got on with my weekend rather than start to and throwing about this Um so, yeah, he's not going. He's probably going to go to a, one of the very few clubs that can afford his wages on the continent. And he'll probably be a good player for that club. But he's also probably not going to be a Roy Keane-style, grab the game by the scruff of the neck. Oh, look, now PSG have won a Champions League-style player, if that makes sense. And I think that's going to be the thing going forward. No matter what happens to Paul Popper what Paul Popper does in the future, Manchester United fans shouldn't think about him too much. And uh, I've got the same opinion the same way. When when Romelu Lukaku was doing well at Inter Milan, or when Jesse Lingard was doing well at West Ham, it shouldn't be all oh, that players doing well at that club. They, you know, down tools at Manchester United. I think the question should always be asked: Why couldn't we get that version of that player at our club? And then try and figure out what sort of thing needs to be sorted out. Is it could it be as interesting as the digestive? problem that Lukaku apparently had when I was at Manchester United or the the allergy that Patrice Evra had when he apparently so Evra for years would eat an omelette Carrington before training and then he went to Juventus and he found out he was allergic to eggs.
3: Yeah, I think we probably need to worry about the players who are still at Manchester United next season (laughs) and trying to get a tune out of them. If you want to read more about Paul Pogba, we've spoken a lot about him of course on the last podcast. Go back and listen to that. But if you want to read more about David Ornstein's take on Pogba not joining City, his column is up on The Athletic now. There'll also be a piece previewing Manchester United's FA Youth Cup final against Nottingham Forest that's dropping on Tuesday morning from Laurie Whitwell. And you heard a couple of excerpts earlier on in the podcast from Laurie's interviews with the academy setup at United. But it's time to say goodbye. It's time to say thank you for listening. Thankfully, the Brighton chat feels a long time ago, even just on this podcast. There's been so much to speak about. But thank you, as always, for being with us. Don't forget, you can subscribe to The Athletic for just £1 a month for the first six months. Just go to theathletic.com forward slash Man United pod. but Carl thank you Andy thank you as well we'll be at the FA Youth Cup Final on Wednesday and we'll be bringing you a podcast in reaction to that on Thursday so look out for that we'll see you on that one bye bye
2: athletic.